Hey there, this is Brian. I'm the host of the Engaging Missions show. If you've found this show for the first time, I did want to take a second to let you know that this show is not currently in production. You're certainly welcome to check out all of the archives, but we don't have new episodes coming out at the moment. However, I did want to take a second to highlight one of the sponsors that sponsored the show a while ago. They're not currently sponsoring the show, but if you're looking for a place to invest in the kingdom, I'd recommend checking out Mega Voice Audio Bibles. You can find them at megavoice.com, or you'll find a link in the show notes. And I would encourage you to just check that out and see if maybe that's a fit for your giving. There's no compensation here or anything like that. I just wanted to highlight them. And with that, I'll get you back into the regular program. You're listening to the Engaging Missions Radio Show. Welcome to the Engaging Missions Radio Show, your home for inspiration and encouragement from missionaries around the world. Join us each week to hear what God is doing and to learn how you can be involved wherever you are in whatever God has called you to do. Whether you're a full-time missionary or are called into the marketplace, you have a home here. We're all in this together. Okay, let's get started. Let's welcome Sean Steckbeck to the show. I've known Sean since he was in high school, and I count myself blessed to know him. After high school, he attended the Bronzeville Revival School of Ministry. Sean is now a missionary to Israel, and he's committed to evangelism and discipleship. Okay, Sean, I've given a little introduction. Now why don't you take a minute, tell us about yourself and your ministry. We want to get to know you personally. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, Yeah, I'm from Tennessee, moved to Israel in 2002, started working uh, with the hearts of the Jewish people and a heart for to reach out to them and, and to see the salvation of Israel as well as the salvation of the nation, but first Israel, and worked as a youth pastor for a couple of years, worked as a, for a discipleship training school until uh, God called me to church planting, which is what we've been doing in the last six or seven years. I'm married to a lady named Ayelet, and I have three children. Maya and Asaf and Fear, and we consider it an honor and a privilege um, to serve the Lord together in this great country of Israel. Well, thanks, Sean. Now that we know you a little, can you share with us a, a scripture or a motivational quote that's really meaningful to you, and then share with us how that scripture or quote has really shaped your behavior? I would say that probably the theme scripture for my life, at least in the last couple of years, would be Genesis 49.10, which is that the scepter will not depart from Judah until Shiloh comes, and to him belongs the obedience of the nations. And Shiloh, of course, is a representation of the future Messiah, which is Jesus, Yeshua, and Arabic Isa. Um, And... And the heart cry of that scripture is that there's going to be this ruler uh, that's going to come, this ruler Messiah, and he deserves the obedience of every nation, of every tribe, and every tongue. And so this scripture has just motivated me to 
seeing Yeshua receive what he deserves. Wow, Sean, thank you for sharing that. As I'm sitting here listening to you, I'm just just being inspired even by the the reference to that scripture. And that's going to move us to the next part of our interview. We know that not everybody's life is just all easy and happy. We know that a lot of times there are challenges in everybody's life. So as we get started, we'd like to hear about a time in your journey when you encountered a significant challenge or a failure. Share with us that one time when God really came through for you. Well, um, there's actually been several. As you know, that there's uh, the life of serving God, whether you're a missionary or a regular person, is like you said, it's filled with ups and downs and failures and successes and miracle stories. But um, I was, I'm thinking about one in which, uh, um, that, you know, everyone can really relate to, uh, even those who are not in the missionary field. Uh, one time, my wife and I, we were coming back from uh, America to Israel, and we were on a standby ticket. And, and we were with uh, three very, very small kids then. And um, we got to Philadelphia by by chance, but when we got to Philadelphia, then the to fly out to Tel Aviv, we got to uh, the flight landed in Philadelphia very late, and we got in line for uh, to go through security at the uh, actually where you board. There's a boarding security whenever you fly into Israel, and as we're as we're waiting in line with everyone else, we're the one of the last people in line. Suddenly. The uh, steward, uh, steward comes out, and he closes the line, and he says, that's it. Everybody else that's on the, in the line, you're not getting on the flight. Um, deal with it. And my wife and I were thinking, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We're with three small kids. There's only one flight a day through Philadelphia. We don't even know if there's uh, room on standby the next day. Um, we knew there was room on standby that day, which we had already ordered. And we just, we were like, with just really uh, lost for what to do. And I went to sign up to see if I could get put myself on standby for the next day. And my wife was looking at the plane outside the window at the, uh, at the place, you know, at the boarding area. And she spoke to the plane and she said, you're not going to go anywhere. You're going to uh, do, uh, you're going to stay here and we are going to get on this plane in the name of Jesus. And so she's standing there saying that and suddenly the plane goes and leaves the boarding area and goes onto the runway. And she's looking on that and she's thinking, but Lord, I commanded that plane to come back and let us board. And so I'm there and suddenly 30 minutes later, an announcement is made and says, those of you who need to get on the uh, U.S. Airways flight from Philadelphia to Tel Aviv, come back to the boarding area. The plane's coming back to get you. And the plane came back to get us because there was a lady who needed to get to a funeral who had connections that also missed the flight. And, um, and because she had connections with the U.S. Airways people, the plane came back to get her, which allowed us also to get on uh, the flight which comes to show that God even, God cares. You know, he, he set that up. He, we got on the plane and we were just thanking God that, you know, 
that even when it seems impossible, because planes never come back, God does miracles. That's amazing. And that's going to take us right to the next question. As we're moving to the other end of the spectrum, we recognize that just as we all have challenges, there are also those times when we have a moment of revelation. Can you share with us a time in your journey when that happened? Take us back to that moment and share with us the steps that you took to take that light bulb moment and turn it into success. Well, uh, you know, I've been in Israel, like I said, from 2002. Now it's 2014. And I think that the the greatest revelation I had was um, when I was almost near burnout. And I was, I was at a place where I was serving God, and it looked like my family was burnt out. And I was like, Lord, where, where have I gone wrong? Um, we were seeing some successes in ministry, but, you know, we were just really burnt out. And the Lord really revealed to me that my identity was not in Him. It was too much in the ministry and not in Him. And the biggest revelation I got from that was my motivation for doing missions. What is my motivation? What What is the motivation? Is it because my identity is it? Have I, have I put my identity so much in the ministry that I can't see myself not in the ministry or in missions? And, um, and the Lord really shook me. And th- that time of testing and of, uh, for my family and for us is that we came out of it was really an understanding that uh, of why we do it. You know, the why we do it is not because even though people are dying and going to hell and we want to reach them, it wasn't because of that. And it wasn't because we have to, or some sort of obligation or even identity, like my identities in the ministry. Uh, the why came back to the fact that, Yeshua deserves the obedience of the nations. He deserves my obedience. And and it's not about ministry success. It's about my worship to him. And people that I, that we lead to the Lord, new disciples we make and churches we plant, it, it's all a worship offering to him because he deserves it, because he, he is king. And uh, just a revelation that he's key and he deserves the obedience of the nations, like I quoted in the scripture earlier, uh, saved me from burnout. And today, every time I, um, I feel like I, I don't want to continue on, I just meditate on the fact that Yeshua, Jesus, is key. And uh, the worship offering of obedience I want to give to him because he deserves it. You know, as you were sharing, that really was sparked two things in my mind. One was that, you know, these moments of revelation, I I think that the light comes in the morning, but very often after those dark times. So the the challenges almost always precede the, the moments of revelation when God really comes through. The other one was just a question. You had this, this time when God revealed to you the, the question about your motivation now that you have that revelation, has that changed anything about your behavior, or is it just all about the perspective that makes it different for you? Well, um, I would say it, it does both, because because now I do, in the perspective and in my behavior, I do everything, whether it's in my personal life or with my, my wife or my kids, and my wife and kids in the same way, or whether it's in missions, I do everything with the understanding of how does this glorify Yeshua as king and uh, deserving obedience and obedience is worship and uh, letting, giving to him what he deserves 
And it's revolutionized my life to where I don't see ministry as work. I see it as worship. And it's actually given me a new passion to do ministry because it's not about doing some work. It's about, Lord, I get a chance to worship you today, but also in my personal life. Uh, every act of obedience, whether it's loving someone, the way I treat my wife and kids, it's an act of worship. And and uh, that's been really revolutionary in my life. That's excellent. And that's a great lead into the present day. We'd like to hear what's going on in your ministry. What's one thing that's really exciting you in your ministry right now? Or what's one thing that you see coming in the future? Well, um, since about 2006 or 2007, we've adopted a model called church planning movements or disciple making movements. And um, I've really started researching this model since about 2004, 2005, but adopted in 2006. But basically, the idea is um, disciples that make disciples through house church multiplication and through disciple multiplication. And what we're seeing is that when we make things simple and reproducible, that um, the things are expanding beyond what we can even report or even know about or definitely not control. Um, and that's exciting to me, the things, you know, that we're able to, um, you know, uh, offer to the Lord, a worship offering of the, uh, of the obedience of the nations, um, and people we don't even know because through multiplication, you know, down even to the sixth generation of multiplication, six generations of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. So that really excites me to see where that's going. And also Jews and Arabs ministering to each other in this land where you hear about Jews and Arabs fighting each other. We're seeing Jewish people come to faith and uh, Palestinian Muslims coming to faith, and they're starting to love each other and um, starting to even minister to each other and help each other and witness to each other's people. And that, for me, is very exciting to see, you know, when the news reports about all the hardships that are going on here, the kingdom has a different story. Yeah, I especially appreciate the the comment about Jews and Arabs ministering to each other because I recognize that we're called to be ministers of reconciliation. And that's not something that it even crossed my mind that, you know, Jews and Arabs ministering to each other, but that's clearly in God's heart. One of the things that I really appreciate about your ministry is your focus on the person of peace person of peace approach to making disciples and planting works. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with what that is, though. Could you take a minute and share with us how you apply the person of peace mentality to your ministry? Well, basically, the the idea of the person of peace is the idea that God is already working on the heart of somebody in a given area. Our job is to find that person. Our job is not to convince every single person in an area that they need to follow Jesus. So the purpose for us, the purpose of mass evangelism or mass gospel sowing is not to lead a lot of people to the Lord, but is to find what we call the person of peace, which comes from Luke chapter 10, where Jesus told his disciples to go from door to door until they find the person of peace who invites them into their house and they eat with them and they drink with them and they heal the sick that are there and they preach the kingdom. You can read that in Matthew 9, Matthew 9 and 10, Luke 9 and 10, etc. So um, that's what we do. We, we 
do all sorts of different engagement processes of evangelism, which, you know, could be healing the sick through signs and wonders. It could be humanitarian aid projects. It could uh, be going door to door. We do spiritual surveys sometimes. But the purpose of mass evangelism is not to lead people to the Lord. The purpose of mass evangelism is to find the person of peace who will then open their home. And then you, from their homes, they reach their sphere of influence and their family and their friends, and you start a new house church in the house of the man of peace. If I could liken it to anything, I would say I would liken it to a treasure hunt that our mass evangelism efforts, our mass gospel sowing efforts, is to find this treasure that God has already prepared called the person of peace. And uh, it's not to lead a whole bunch of people to the Lord. It's basically our teams are on a treasure hunt. And once we find that treasure, that person of peace, that's the person that's going to be the key to the gospel in the area. And it's actually his job to evangelize to his network of friends in the area and to start a movement in his area, not our job. Our job is to find the person of peace and to work with him. I think that's probably something that could be applied even for somebody who does evangelism stateside. You know what? Uh, it's actually starting to happen in the States. I have uh, friends in the States, a guy named Jeff Sundell, who is um, who is uh, now seeing hundreds of new house churches planted among unbelievers through the person of peace principle. And because it's a biblical principle, it's not a mission methodology right. uh, idea. It comes straight from Luke chapter 10. Jesus used it with the Samaritan woman, with with Lydia and the book of Acts. It's, you know, it's the, the principle that the apostles used over and over and again. If you, you know, do a diagram of uh, the book of Acts or, you know, Jesus' ministry. Now, I'm sure that there are some people who are already supporting missionaries financially and in prayer but want to do more. If they really wanted to level up their game, what's one thing they could do to encourage or support a missionary? You know, I mean, writing, I mean, there's two things I would say. One is writing emails and writing encouragement. You know, sometimes you're out on the field and, you know, um, you write newsletters. People support you. They pray for you. You know that. You see the support come in, but you don't hear from people very often. And, you know, even though you have friends on the field, sometimes, you know, you, especially when you've been gone a long time, you'd like to know that people are thinking and praying about you from, you know, where you came from. Mm-hmm. And so I would say, just write that missionary a letter, tell them how much you appreciate what they're doing, that they're not alone, um, encourage them, that, you know, that even though you know they're praying for them, just let them know you're praying for them. I think that's, that's, that could, that's a huge encouragement for most missionaries. Did you have two things or just the one? And the second thing is, is um, for, for I, I don't know if it's for other missionaries, but for myself, um, you know, as a, as a person that has a passion for seeing Jesus' name be obeyed and his kingship be obeyed through the nations, um, just realizing that we're all missionaries wherever we're at, no matter we're in the marketplace or wherever. And um, I don't know, I'd, be, I'd love to be given an opportunity to train anybody, even in the States, how to make disciples and how in their own sphere of influence, even in the marketplace. Uh, to see things start to happen there. Very cool. Now, Sean, it's time for us to transition to the speed round. That's where I get to ask you a series of questions, and you come back quickly with your answers. Does that sound like a plan? That sounds great, yeah. What's one thing you wish you would have known when you started out? 
My identity is in Christ and not in the ministry. And what's the best advice you've ever received? The best of advice I've ever received is from the Bible. Uh, love and bless your enemies. Love and bless your enemies. That's really good. What's one meaningful thing that someone did to encourage, support, or help you? I would say that every letter of encouragement I've gotten has been like um, water to my soul. That's something that someone else mentioned just a couple days ago as well. Can you share with us one of your personal habits that you strongly believe contributes to your success? I would say two. One is prayer. Prayer, 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 prayer. And two is I just daily, I meditate on what it means that Yeshua, Jesus, is king in my life and and what it means for those around me. The, the, the reality that Yeshua is the risen king and and how that's supposed to affect my life and the people around me. I meditate on that. Okay. And do you have an internet resource that you use and can share with our listeners? Um, there's a couple of resources. One of the, the best resources I really encourage you is um, the Train and Multiply Resources by George Patterson. is a great resource, and um, you can find that online at Train and Multiply. George Patterson is an incredible uh church planning coach and somebody who's also coaching me. And uh, David Watson's church planning uh, resources as well is really good stuff. What is one book that you would recommend to our listeners? P for T, Training for Trainers by uh, Ying Pai. Now, this last one's a little tricky. Uh, I know that you've been thinking about it because we talked about it before we started this call. Imagine you woke up tomorrow morning in a brand new country where you knew nobody. You still have your experience, your knowledge, and your family. Your food and shelter are covered, but all you have is a laptop and $500. What do you do in the next seven days? For the first two or three days, I would just acclimate myself and my family because I have three kids and it takes time for them to be acclimated um, to a new area. And it takes time for them to, you know, just get used. It probably even takes all week, to be honest with you, but I just spend three days just with my family. And, you know, making sure they're safe, you know, that we're, we're together and that they feel, you know, they feel secure. And, um, and then the other days I would probably just go around the community and meet people and get a feel for the area where I'm at. And yeah, that's about all I could do in seven days, to be honest with you. <laughs> now, Sean, we're almost done. Uh, and I so appreciate your time with us. Would you share with us one last piece of advice and the best way for us to get in touch with you? Then we'll say goodbye. My, my last piece of advice um, would be just to, um, I know I've said this before and I'll say it again, um, because this is a blog about missions. The Great Commission uh, in Matthew 28 says, uh, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Therefore, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that Jesus commanded. He is with us until the end of the age. Um, and just the very first statement that Jesus made when he rose again was, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And that is the heartbeat of doing the Great Commission, of going making disciples. And so... I would just encourage people just to meditate every day on what it means that Jesus is king, what it means that all authority has been given to him in heaven and earth, and that he's risen, uh, he's risen from the dead, which gave him that authority. Just to meditate on that and meditate on it 
What does that mean in your life and the life of others? The best way to get in touch with me would be S-I-M-E-O-N-S underscore C-R-Y. That's Simeon's Cry at Hotmail.com. S-I-M-E-O-N-S underscore C-R-Y at Hotmail.com. For those listening, that will be on the show notes page as well, and that'll be at engagingmissions.com slash Sean Steckbeck. That's S-E-A-N-S-T-E-C-K-B-E-C-K. Now, Sean, thank you so much for being with us. I really appreciate your time and your generosity. No, it was my honor, Brian. This ends our time with Sean Steckbeck. I want to say a huge thank you to Sean for dialing in and making this work. I know that he's had a lot going on as he's been preparing for an upcoming trip. It was really great for me to reconnect with Sean and to hear what God's doing in his life. Sean and I first met at a much darker time in my life, and I'm delighted to say that God has been very good to both of us. I would also like to mention that this call was made possible by a donation. Ordinarily, I do these recordings Skype to Skype, but Sean mentioned that he was having some problems with his computer's microphone. Someone donated some money to the show a couple weeks ago, and I used a portion of that money to secure a Skype phone number, which allowed us to connect. I've not asked permission to share that person's name, so I'm not going to do that, but I do want to say thank you. Also, you might have noticed a difference in the sound quality this week. I'm trying some different software settings. If you liked what you heard, or even if you didn't, you can let me know by leaving a comment at engagingmissions.com slash Sean Steckbeck, or by leaving a review in iTunes at engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. I have a short video there that shows you everything that you need to know if you want to leave a rating and review for the show. As always, you'll find all the notes and resources for this show at engagingmissions.com slash Sean Steckbeck. And finally... If you liked this show, please subscribe in iTunes and leave us an honest rating and review. You can do that by visiting engagingmissions.com slash iTunes. Your feedback can help make this show better and can help us get it into the hands and the ears of more people. It really helps us more than you can know. And if you do so, please make sure to grab a screenshot of yourself leaving that rating and review and email it to me. You can email it to ratings at engagingmissions.com. I'll make sure that it's featured on our ratings Pinterest board and on the website. Thanks so much for joining us for the Engaging Missions radio show. May God richly bless you. We'll see you next week.